When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Today, we intend to show the American people that January 6th is not an isolated incident. I said, are you out of your effing mind? If Pence came, we're going to drag through the streets. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. The United States will provide an additional $1 billion dollars. Uh, security assistant package. A very tough slog, very severe battle of attrition, almost World War One like. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The January 6th committee reveals backroom conversations showing the Trump White House knew the plan to overturn the election was illegal. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with new info today on the pressure campaign against Mike Pence. An Oval Office phone call you have not heard about yet and a pardon sought by Trump's legal counsel. We will discuss a pivotal day on Capitol Hill ahead with Bloomberg's Mike Dorning, and we'll focus on the legal outcome here with Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, with us in just a moment. Later, as the fight in Ukraine grinds into a war of attrition, the U.S. prepares another billion-dollar weapons package. We'll talk about the status of this battle with Bill Roggio, senior fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is with us, along with Republican strategist Adam Goodman. The House Committee investigating January 6th brings new information about what led to the attack on the Capitol. They did hold another hearing today. We're watching so you don't have to. Focusing on how White House counsel John Eastman cooked up a theory to overturn the election. You've heard about this, using so-called alternate electors, and the pressure campaign against Mike Pence to carry it out. When Mike Pence made it clear that he wouldn't give in to Donald Trump's scheme, Donald Trump turned the mob on him. Chairman Benny Thompson, the panel played video from that day, beginning with Donald Trump on the ellipse, the speech, of course, out in front of the White House, and then rioters hearing the news about Mike Pence. Listen. Mike Pence, I hope you're going to stand up for the good of our Constitution and for the good of our country. And if you're not, I'm going to be very disappointed in you. I will tell you right now. I'm telling you what, I'm hearing the Pence. I'm hearing the Pence just caved. No. 
Is that true? I didn't I'm hear here. You. I'm hearing no. reports that Pence caved. No, I'm I... telling you, if Pence caved, we're gonna drag <laughs> through the streets. This is as they're walking you toward the Capitol. are gonna get drugged through the streets. Yeah. And then, of Bring course, the gallows erected to hang Mike Pence. New today in the hearing. This is important, a phone call that Donald Trump made to Mike Pence from the Oval Office the morning of January 6th before he put his coat on to go to the Ellipse. The Trump family was in the room, including Ivanka, who you will hear, along with presidential advisors Eric Hirschman and Nicholas Luna. When I entered the office the second time, he was on the telephone with who I later found out to be was the, the vice president. Could you hear the vice president or only hear the president's end? Only hear the president's end. And at some point it started off as a calmer tone and everything and then became heated. The conversation was was pretty heated. I think till it became somewhat, you know, louder tone, I don't think anyone was paying attention to it initially. Did you hear any part of the phone call, even if just this the end that the president was speaking from? I did, yes. All right, and what did you hear? So as I was dropping off the note, um, I, I, my memory, I remember hearing the word wimp. Either he called him a wimp. I don't remember if he said, you are a wimp, you'll be a wimp. Wimp is the word I remember. Wimp was one word used on that call. Ivanka Trump's chief of staff, Julie Radford, tells us that it got more profane from there. Something to the effect, this is, the wording's wrong. I made the wrong decision four or five years ago. This is the, again the word that call. she relayed to that the president called the vice president. I apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said? Her father called him. The P word. The P word as described by Radford. Let's bring in Bloomberg Congress reporter, longtime Washington journalist Mike Dorning, who watched this and has been writing about it all day. This was a tough day for Donald Trump. Uh, Mike, it's great to have you. But was it even worse for John Eastman, the stuff that we heard today, also learning that he sought a presidential pardon after this. Yeah, there were two things that kind of struck me that were really damning for John Eastman. One is um, uh, Vice President um, Pence's chief counsel said that Eastman at one point admitted to him that, hey, if this legal strategy would come to the Supreme Court, we would lose nine Nine to nothing. And then, as you mentioned after this was over, he was saying, please, can I get on a pardon list for my part on this? When the committee tried to interview him, he invoked his Fifth Amendment rights because he wasn't pardoned. A hundred times. Yeah, a hundred times. And we got a little bit of a taste of that. Um, that phone call is not something that we've heard about before, at least not on a formal level here with Trump calling Pence. Isn't it something to hear it, though, from the words coming directly from Ivanka Trump, who who seemed disturbed about what she had witnessed. Yeah, she said she'd never heard him speak to the vice president like that before, you know, maybe yeah. other people. Um, it, it does make a difference because some of this has been out there. The details of that call have mm-hmm. been kind of out there in print, uh, according to anonymous people. But it's something different to see the president's daughter saying under oath, this is what happened. AIDS that were so close to the president that they were in the Oval Office with the president on this day. We're not talking minor aides. We're talking people in the Oval Office saying this on video under oath, under penalty of perjury. This is a dramatic portrait of the president on that day. And and to me, the things that were most stunning about the hearing was just 
Pence's wild day and some of these new chilling details. Yeah. And like, photographs of and him photographs. In, in this undisclosed location. And uh, it kind of, um, you know, the mob was within 40 feet of him. Yes, right. uh, informant for the Proud Boys from who was in the Proud Boys said that the Proud Boys were going to kill him. They were prepared they to kill anyone him. who they dragged out. And uh, some some sort of moments of steel that, um, you know, again, these are being said under oath. So mm-hmm. we assume they're truthful that kind of, uh, you know, glorify Pence. But one thing that struck me was not only did he refuse to leave the Capitol, but the Secret Service sort of wisely said, if we're stuck in this mm-hmm. underground garage, mm-hmm. let's get you inside the armored car in case. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't get in. He said, no way, because I don't want to leave here. And while I trust you, the detail leader, I do not trust the driver of the mobs invading yeah. not to hit the gas. Mike Dorning, find his work uh, on the terminal and on the website. It's great to have you with us. Let's do a deeper dive next hearing. When is it, by the way? When's the next round? Uh, I think it's uh, next Tuesday, I know maybe. things got moved around a little bit. And uh, we'll, of course, have the full smash primetime conclusion at some point. Uh, I hope you could join us, Mike. Thank you for I would love to. Absolutely. We'll do it again. Here on Bloomberg Sound On, uh, as we mentioned, uh, that presidential pardon, Congressman Pete Aguilar, a Democrat on the panel, described Uh, what Eastman had put in email form. Dr. Eastman emailed Rudy Giuliani and requested that he be included on a list of potential recipients of a presidential pardon. Dr. Eastman's email stated, quote, I've decided that I should be on the pardon list if that is still in the works. Dr. Eastman did not receive his presidential pardon. No, he didn't. Michael Zeldin joins us now, former federal prosecutor, former special counsel, to Robert Mueller while at the Department of Justice. It's great to have you back with us, Michael. A lot of us are trying to figure out where this is going. And we heard from the chairman, Benny Thompson, a short time ago. I guess the Department of Justice is not happy uh, that this panel has not been providing all of its information. They want transcripts of all these interviews. Is the committee slowing the investigation into what happened on January 6th? I wouldn't think so. I would think that the committee will in good um, order, give these transcripts to the DOJ. Why they didn't yet is not knowable, but I don't expect that there'll be any uh, breach between the committee and the DOJ, and the DOJ will get everything it needs to make a determination. Yeah. Benny Thompson, as I mentioned, was asked about this, and we understand that he says it's not coming anytime soon, not till we're done with our hearings. Liz Cheney has been more in favor of passing that along. The fact of the matter is, though, Michael, and the reason why we wanted to talk to you is how this culminates beyond setting the timeline in stone. What will be the legal ramifications that come from this? Whether or not they decide to indict the uh, former President Trump. Yeah. What is being presented here is evidence of a conspiracy with seven parts to it. And today we heard another one of those parts, or two parts actually. One was the pressure campaign that Trump placed on Pence. And then the second one is what they called the pouring gasoline on the fire, which was Trump summoning, assembling the violent Mm -hmm. mob and directing them to march on the Capitol. So we heard pretty clear evidence of this. And in a criminal conspiracy, the most difficult thing is to prove criminal intent. Did the person know that what they were doing was illegal and decide to act anyway? 
And right, that's what right. the evidence was most clear on today. Yeah, it's sounding a lot like it uh, here, Michael. Uh, not just Donald Trump I want to ask you about, but also John Eastman, his former counsel, who, as we know, uh, sought a pardon. Listen to what presidential advisor Eric Hirschman said uh, when Eastman first approached him with this idea of overturning the election. He was walking through it at that time. And I said, hold on a second. I want to understand what you're saying. You're saying that you believe the vice president acting as president of the Senate can be the sole decision maker as to, under your theory, who becomes the next president of the United States. And you said, yes. And I said, are you out of your effing mind? Quite a conversation. January 6th happens. The day after, John Eastman calls Hirschman on the phone to try to float the idea of doing something. There's another appeal they could make in Georgia or something like that. Hirschman did not pull back this time either. Yeah, he screamed and said, I don't want to hear any other effing words coming out of your mouth, no matter what, other than orderly transition. Repeat those words to me. And I screamed and said, eventually he said, orderly transition. I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. Is he right, Michael Zeldin? Well, it, again, appears that the President of the United States, along with John Eastman, along with Rudy Giuliani, along with Sidney Powell, engaged in a criminal conspiracy to obstruct and defraud the United States government, that there was an agreement, there was guilty knowledge, criminal intent, and there were acts in furtherance of that conspiracy. And yeah, you know, from a straight constitutional analysis, there's nothing that prevents a former president from being indicted. And from a straight criminal law analysis, the elements of a criminal conspiracy have been laid out pretty clearly today. Next couple of hearings need to accomplish what, Michael, if this is the direction we're going in? Well, I think what they're going to be doing is trying to prove each of the seven prongs of their conspiracy. They're saying the president engaged in a seven-part conspiracy. Mm -hmm. The first was the big lie. The second was to replace the acting attorney general. The third was to pressure Pence. The fourth was to pressure state officials. The fifth was to do the false electors scheme. The sixth was the violent mob, and the seventh was inaction when this was going on. So I think what happens next is the pressure campaign on state officials. We haven't heard the evidence of that yet in these hearings, and so they're just working their way through these seven elements, and I think what they'll conclude with is to say, we have essentially proved our case, America. The President of the United States, former President of the United States, along with the following people, engaged in a conspiracy to obstruct and defraud the uh, Congress in these seven ways. And then they'll say, here, DOJ, it's up to you. What's DOJ doing, lastly, Michael, right now, though? They're, they're conducting their own investigation in tandem here. Exactly right. They are not sitting back doing nothing. They are investigating, but they have not gotten the head start that the January 6th committee did, and that's why they're asking for assistance with the transcripts. And I think what is going to be the case is what Thompson said, is as soon as they've laid out their case, they're going to give their information to an organization that has the authority to indict, and that's the DOJ. In the end, this is a Department of Justice story, though, right? Americans and and historians are following the committee. The DOJ has the action. Well, I think that's true, and it's not true. I think it's true from a criminal law perspective. But, of course, what's going on here is a very important political story, which, you know, sure. on which the um, Democratic um, government that we uh, cherish 
is on trial. And so I think you have both. You have the, what, is, what happened and what can we do to prevent it from happening politically? And then second, who will be held accountable criminally? So I think those things happen in tandem. Really glad you could join us. Michael Zeldin, a voice of experience, former federal prosecutor and former special counsel to Robert Mueller. While at the Department of Justice, we thank you, Michael. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg Sound On. You're not going to hear conversations like this anywhere else today as we try to not sensationalize what's happening, but better understand where the heck this is going. And we're going to assemble our panel next for more on this. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The headline on the terminal now, January 6th committee wants to talk to Ginny Thomas. Yes, the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas. Apparently this will happen. The chairman, Benny Thompson, says the committee plans to ask the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas to answer questions about her involvement in plans to overturn the election. As we have understood now that email correspondence from John Eastman, the aforementioned, that the panel recently obtained shows that Jenny Thompson was in contact with the attorney and talked about her efforts to keep Joe Biden out of office. Washington Post broke it. We'll see if the committee gets somewhere on this. Speaking of Benny Thompson, as we assemble our panel here, listen to this back and forth from the chair of the committee as he walks out of the hearing room, faces a group of reporters in the hallway to talk about why the committee is not sharing all of this with the Department of Justice. This just happened. They've essentially, in a letter, accused you guys of hampering their investigation. Are you going to turn over those transcripts? We just got the letter yesterday. I asked you about it on Tuesday, too. So So we got the letter yesterday. Okay, well, are you going to turn over the transcripts? Uh, In due time. You will? Are you agreeing? Listen to me now. Don't, don't. We got the letter yesterday. We're reviewing it. We'll respond to them. But we're in the midst of conducting our hearings. Uh, We have a program to get over. We have to get the facts and circumstances behind January 6th. We will work with them, but we have a report to do. We are not going to stop what we're doing to share the information that we've gotten so far. All right, there's Benny Thompson. Straight from the chairman's mouth a short time ago, he was asked, how about the end of the week? He said no. As we assembled our panel, Jeannie's with us in studio today. Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, joined by Adam Goodman, Republican strategist, columnist and partner at Ballard Partners in Washington, also a senior fellow at Tufts University's Fletcher School. Jeannie, it's great to see you in Washington, and welcome back, Adam Goodman, 
Pretty remarkable uh, second half of the hearing. Jeannie, I think you and I uh, both agree. How much trouble is John Eastman in and what's going on here with the Department of Justice? Yeah, well, well, John Eastman, first off, I mean, the idea that he asked to be put on that pardon list, yeah. I mean, shows that he has a sense that he could be in very big trouble. And I thought the clip you played by Hirschman is indicative of that. And mm-hmm. he told him, I'm going to give you free legal advice and the best advice you're going to get to get an attorney because you're in trouble. Else. And, you know, I think the federal judge talking about this as a coup in search of a legal theory. And, of course, Eastman and Trump at the center of that coup. So he's in big trouble. Huh. I have a a lot of questions about what's going on between the committee and the Department of Justice. I don't understand it just at the outset. And I wanted to ask, you know, your previous guest this, but yeah. why can't they turn over or won't they turn over this material? It can't be difficult for well, the no. committee to physically turn this over. They're not going to have to rewrite it by hand. They just put it on a They're drive. They're investigating the same the thing. The same thing. So I have a lot of questions as to why that's not happening. I don't know. Adam may have a better answer than I do, yeah. but I think it, it's uh, perplexing that there seems to be, you know, by Benny Thompson, this resistance mm-hmm. to uh, working with the Department of Justice at this point. Adam, are they afraid that uh, DOJ is going to steal their work? Wouldn't it actually add credibility to the committee to have DOJ behind this? <laughs> I'm laughing right now. Jeannie thought I could explain this. <laughs> uh, I, th- I explained it in two words, Washington, you know, parlor gamemanship, gamesmanship, actually yeah, three words. Yeah. I mean, where we are right now, we have... We, if you if you remember the public, this seems to be West Wing meeting House of Cards, right? Oh. So they're starting to they're starting to get very interested in well, what's the next part, the next chapter? But let's put this all in perspective for a second. Uh, I believe that punishing actions in the past, I'm talking about political now, yeah, yeah. punishing actions in the past will f- prove far more difficult than punishing such acts in the future, because a lot of questions are being raised so say this continues down this path and you know the the revelations that you're hearing uh the conversations about you know between uh the president and the vice president and the attorney i mean if this were a megaphone that had been uh in the presidential office for the last 25 presidents we'd have a lot of fun and a lot of color but i'm not excusing i'm just saying this is actually bringing into light the public light conversations uh that heretofore have been somewhat private mm-hmm. what does it really lead to if it leads to some resolution that heals the republic i think that's something that americans will accept however right now i think we're moving down a path where ultimately short of indictment uh the democrats will think we didn't go far enough yep. republicans have went too far and independents will think we just had enough of all of this let's huh. get back to the real show which is beating inflation there's a lot to be said for that uh genie does it is it indictment or bust then you know, Adam stole my notes because I wrote on my notes, Adam, House of Cards, and he added West Wing, so he was smarter than I was. But, Very good. Yeah, but, um, you know, I think what is so frightening to me about this is what the judge said at the end, which is that this is not just about history and not just about sort of an accounting what happened, but what's coming down the pike. And you and I were just talking the last few days about the fact that we have two 
key swing states in Florida and Nevada, which may have election deniers as in charge of the counting of votes yes. as secretary of state. We also have seen these Republican primaries where election deniers are winning far more than losing. And of course, you know, you also have the Proud Boys who have come out of the shadows of doing, you know, threatening to kill the vice president yep. bad enough, right. taking over the Miami-Dade Republican Party. So they have moved themselves into politics. So this is a very threatening time, I think, to this Adam's point. This committee doesn't change any of and that, And this though, committee right? doesn't change any of that. I think one thing, if they could, re- you know, reform that Electoral Count Act, that would be a good start as yeah. far as I'm okay. concerned. I think those are the kind of important things. And to get the American public to see that the election was you not You remember stolen. there was a time Democrats, namely progressives, were very upset with that as an option. They wanted the comprehensive uh, voting reform. Uh, how important is that, Adam Goodman, to get that done? I think uh, for the confidence of the American people, it's incredibly important that we find a way to feel that elections not only mean something again, but that we can take it to the bank. And we're not there. You look at 2016, yeah. 40% or more of Democrats thought that Hillary was a legitimate winner. 2020, uh, yeah, you you go to 2020 and the, the same thing in reverse in terms of Trump. We got to do something there. We don't. And we and right now all we have is partisan bickering over what the resolution is. Mm-hmm. But can I just point out the irony of all this? That In 30 seconds or less. OK, we were looking at an indictment, a seven part indictment. Yep. Pandora's box had seven deadly sins. Wrath, oh, gluttony, greed, envy, sloth, pride and lust. I, there are a lot of parallels here between <laughs> that box and the box. That I think America wow. is finding itself in with these hearings. House of Cards meets West Wing. Adam Goodman. Excellent. Jeannie Shanzano. The best analysis here. This is Bloomberg. Welcome to Bloomberg Sound On. As we join you live from the nation's capital with an eye on Ukraine, the president, in fact, was on the phone with Vladimir Zelensky yesterday, vowing to provide an additional billion dollars in security assistance as they try to fight off Russian forces in the east. The battle for the Donbass continues. The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, says this is what happens when you're in the war zone. The United States will provide an additional $1 billion dollars Uh, security assistant package for Ukraine. And that includes our 12th drawdown from DOD inventory since August of 2021. When you're in a fight, uh, you can never get enough. Uh, You you always want more. You always believe that you need more. And I have been there. Uh, And so I certainly understand uh, where the Ukrainians are coming from, and we're going to fight hard to get them everything they need. No, they are indeed getting more. This latest weapons package includes, for the first time, launchers for vehicle-mounted Harpoon anti-ship missiles. According to people familiar with the matter, talking with Bloomberg, Tony Capaccio at the Pentagon, Jennifer Jacobs at the White House reporting this, Denmark is going to supply the missiles. The U.S. package also includes over $300 million for secure radios and related equipment, thermal night vision, optics, millions more for training. Mark Milley, the, of course, general chair of the Joint Chiefs, describing the slow grind that this has devolved into in the Donbass. This fight down in the Donbass has been going on since 16 April, uh, and the advances that the Russians have made have been very slow, a very tough slog, very severe battle of attrition, almost World War I-like. Uh, and the Russians have suffered tremendous amounts of casualties. Almost World War One like Let's bring in Bill Rojo, senior fellow at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies 
and editor of the Long War Journal, which has done a lot of reporting uh, since the start of the invasion. Bill, welcome back. Comparing this to World War I uh, certainly draws images and, and horrible memories and really just expresses the tough slog that Ukraine is in here. You remember there was a, at one point we thought this would be done in a couple of weeks, then it was a couple of months. This is showing no end in sight. Yes, uh, thanks for having me back. I, I actually disagree with General Milley's assessment that this is like World War One. How come? One, uh, what, I think what he's describing there is that trench warfare where the lines didn't move right, for yeah. a significant portion. And, and that's not actually what's happening. The Russians are advancing. It's just very, very slow. Um, and he's not mentioning the Ukrainian losses as well. They're, they're now The Ukrainians are now saying they're losing one to 200 soldiers a day mm -hmm. and uh, taking up to a thousand wounded. So this is a, you know, the, the losses are mounting on both sides and one side has a lot more to lose than the other. And that would be the Russians. So yeah, I, I just disagree with that assessment. I think that might've been the assessment a month ago, but it's, Interesting. Uh, it's, it seems very behind. So uh, Russia is advancing then. Uh, will this new weapons package slow them down? I think the the problem with this new weapons package is I'm I'm hearing it it's not going to arrive in theater for weeks if not months uh, in totality and I think this has been a big problem with the Western effort to arm Ukraine it's it's been coming piece and coming into the country piecemeal it's not arriving not enough of is is arriving quick enough in order to have an impact on the battlefield you need to get those weapon systems um, online and at the same time in order to be able to affect this, the tactical situation. And that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing these, this equipment roll in piece at a time. And, th and there's another issue with that is, are the Ukrainians capable of handling these more advanced weapon systems? And then will they be able to provide the ammunition for them as well? So the Ukrainians are now, since they're depleting their stocks of Soviet weaponry, they're now becoming dependent on Western aid. And what happens if uh, the Western, if the U.S. and other countries suddenly decide maybe it's not a good idea to keep providing weapons and maybe we need to look for a political solution? Boy, we're a far... Uh distance from there obviously well, how about these harpoon anti-ship missiles ukraine was asking for help in the black sea i guess to your point weeks ago uh what do these bring if not a more pronounced naval war i think that this is one weapon system that can make a very real difference even if provided in limited numbers it can drive the russian navy further off of the ukrainian coast the russian mm -hmm. The Russians control about two-thirds of the Black Sea coast and all the coast of the Sea of Azov. So in the port of a city of Odessa, that is under Ukrainian control, and the Ukrainians yeah. are worrying about an amphibious assault and support of Russian forces from the sea. These types of weapon systems can target and hit Russian um, warships at long range, you know, in hundreds of miles. So the Russians are going to have to stand off from the coast. These, this mm -hmm. is one weapon system, I think, really can have an impact in this but it's a defensive weapon system does it unlock the ports to to start moving grain i don't believe it will because the russians could just back off and interdict ship, uh, ships for just further off the ukrainian coast Boy. these ports are still mined um the ukrainians would have to demine them and then they would have to get those ships past a, a russian blockade and then the Turks would have to open up the straits as well into the Black Sea. When you mentioned a political solution uh, that it might be time to start having a more serious conversation, do you believe that Ukraine cannot win this militarily? Yeah. So what we were told, you know, in the very beginning was Russia was going to have a swift victory. Then yeah, we right. were told 
Ukrainians are going to have a have a victory going to drive the Russians out. Now, I think with the real um, the two scenarios that are more likely here is some form of stalemate when the Russians decide to stop advancing. And the other possibility that isn't being discussed here is what happens if the Russians do punch through in a significant way and get into more open, undefended ground. This is why the Ukrainians need to be considering that possibility. Right now, Zelensky and the government is talking about victory, but there's a, a dark side of this that they have to consider. I don't know if they are behind closed doors, but they, you know, it's as distasteful it is to everyone, the Ukrainians. They may lose some, but they 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 risk losing a lot more uh -huh. um, if if they if they're not able to get a halt to the fighting. So maybe Henry Kissinger was onto something. Yeah, I mean, I dislike uh, you know I, I, he is onto something, and that the borders may not look the same at the end of a political solution, a, a, a diplomatic solution. Uh, yeah. Bill Rogio, I, I appreciate your insights. Come back and see us again soon. Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and look for the Long War Journal that Bill is editing right now. We'll reassemble the panel for more on this next. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Pretty tough assessment of the situation in Ukraine from Bill Rojo. And you do wonder where we're going to be here in terms of public opinion, public sentiment, and the appetite for more, say, come August, Labor Day. Are we going to be talking about this when we vote in November? It sure sounds like it. As we reassemble the panel now, Jeannie Shanzano is in studio in Washington, Bloomberg politics contributor and Democratic analyst. Joined today by Adam Goodman. He's back with us, Republican strategist, columnist, partner, Ballard Partners. It's great to have both of you here. Jeannie, this doesn't sound uh, very good here when you consider the messaging we've heard from Democrats and Republicans who've completely leaned into this support for the war in Ukraine. Another billion dollars is going out the door here, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is describing this. I know Bill disagreed, but not only as a war of attrition, but something more like World War I. How much time does President Biden have politically to continue funding this war? You know, with the economy the way it is, it becomes really, really difficult for people to say you should keep funding, you know, 20, mm -hmm. 30 billion, another billion here. Um, so as much as people are supportive of Ukraine and, and want Ukraine to, uh, you know, be able to push Russia back, they also are really concerned about what's going on at home. So, you know, that becomes an issue. I think from a broader perspective that the real challenge here is the challenge we see in all proxy wars. Mm -hmm. They become... 
I thought Bill was so right. They become protracted to the point often of stalemate. They are incredibly deadly for civilians, and you have to have a way out. But when you keep sending in arms, you do increase the duration of these conflicts, but the impact of the fighting on civilian populations increases Mm -hmm. as well. And what is the end game is the big question here. Where is that political diplomatic solution? I think that's something that the president and the administration are going to have to ask. In the mind of the administration, what do they see as the end game here? Adam Goodman, if it's not obvious Ukraine can win this militarily in the next couple of months, when does the White House need to make that calculation? This is very difficult. This is going to sound maybe surprising. I I really support uh, and have supported the the, the administration and, and, and all others in funding the Ukrainian effort, because I think if you you don't draw the line there. There's some very scary consequences beyond that. With that said, you know, we live at a time when inflation's run amok. We have, um, you know, gas over $5 a gallon, bread yeah. $2 below. People are kind of really kind of freaking out about that. Uh-huh. But Joe Biden, President Biden needs a win. He needs a win somewhere. And I, I will say that as it's difficult, if not impossible, for him to get a win, a short-term win in this election cycle on inflation and other things. He needs to find it somewhere else. And if he's gonna throw caution to the winds and try to find somewhere where he takes a, a gutty, strong, principled stand, and funny as it sounds, it may be Ukraine. What's that stand though? To, to, to keep more doing more or to seek a diplomatic solution? Well, I think he has to do both. Uh, you cannot just throw money at this problem. That's of course gonna be the Republicans uh, right. playing against the Democrats. Everything yep. in the world needs more money, no. That's not true. We need better ideas. We need more ideas that work. And if he were to do both, to fund this and to seek diplomatic solutions and to say uh, in very strong terms, this is why we're doing this, because you talk about the economy uh, and all the ramifications already on our economy because of what's happening over there. It's going to get mm-hmm. worse. Yeah. And I want to make sure it does. It. This is how real wars uh, get started and, and expand uh, in many cases. Mission creep. Right. When a mm-hmm. when a general or an executive in this particular case, Jeannie says, all right, then we're going for broke. It's surge time in Ukraine or something like that to try to, you know, close the curtains on this. Are you concerned, Jeannie, that happens? Yeah, I think we have to be concerned. You know, the, the United States has uh, been providing and I have supported it rightly so weapons to the Ukraine. And there has been a promise that they would not be shot over the border mm. um, because the United States, of course, wants to maintain, you know, the distance from this. Yes. But, you know, imagine that that happens and, and there is a response. Then do we get drawn into this thing? You know, to go back to the proxy war idea, one reason that you engage in those as a superpower is because because you can keep a hands off, you can engage from afar, you don't suffer the casualties at home, you don't suffer the poor public opinion. But we could easily get drawn into this thing if we're not very careful. And again, you know, I think to go back to Adam's point, you know, President Biden has long made a case that the challenge of the 21st century is democracy versus autocracy. And one of his stands on this was to take a stand against Russia in this aggression against Ukraine. And he's right about that. But he also, I think, has to have an end game here. What is the political and diplomatic solution? It's not unlike what people asked in Afghanistan years ago to U.S. presidents. What is the end game there? You can't just go in, even in a proxy sense, and not have an 
end game or a way out. And that, I think, the White House needs to articulate in a way that Americans can get behind and understand. Adam, this is the conversation Vladimir Putin has been waiting for, right? And he knows yep. that, that patience wears thin very quickly in America, probably surprised by, by how aggressive our response was. But he knows that this conversation is inevitable. Does Joe Biden know that? Um, I'm unsure. I don't, I don't speak for the president, but I can tell you he should. Uh, Vladimir Putin has not lost this war. He lost the quick win. Yeah. He lost the quick win, but he hasn't lost the war. And I think he's probably looking at just what you suggested, Joe, which is a war of attrition where we, we start to, to bear on the nerves of the American public and the mm-hmm. appetite of the American public for continuing to, to rally behind this. And in terms of clarifying what the president is, is after, uh, what his end game is, uh, the genie's point too. I think he has to do that like right now, huh. like overtly say this is where we're going and this is the end right. game for us. As opposed Not in to November as now. Another spending bill and another problem we have to take on in a world that seems to be roiled by turmoil as opposed to encouraged by hope. Incredible. And a great conversation with our panel. If you're just joining us, it's Bloomberg Sound On. You should subscribe to the podcast. Then you won't have to worry. As we spend time with Jeannie and Adam, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And I want to ask you both while you hear about some politics in Florida, because Elon Musk has been the big story today around here in his effort to address the workforce at Twitter. And is he going to buy it? Is he not going to buy it? But it's actually creeped into politics this week uh, by way of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Interesting that we hear from Elon Musk, who says he might be a supporter here. Uh, if he runs for president in 2024, Elon Musk says he may be on board. Well, DeSantis uh, was delighted, I guess, to get this support. Here was his reaction. So what I would say, um, you know, I'm focused on 2022. Uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? Okay. Laughter from the crowd. And of course, uh, Elon Musk is from South Africa. Uh I guess he was trying to keep it light there, Jeannie. But what was the point of that? Is is he trying to remind or suggest just because you're from Africa, you're you're not a person of color? I, where are we going here? You know, I, I, I scratched I scratched my head for a moment there before it hit me. Um, uh-huh. And you know, I think you know, look at Ron DeSantis is going to welcome the support of you know the wealthiest man in the world at this point, certainly. And Elon Musk, he you know, should he take over Twitter? Um, whether he does or not, he's you know made this case that there's going to be a massive red wave this year. That he leaning towards supporting DeSantis. You know, of right. course, DeSantis is going to welcome that. And so you know, if he can get that kind of free media why not take it so it you know i have to say thinking about it is probably a good line on desantis's part and i say that grudgingly is he <laughs> saying that adam because uh, he doesn't have the support of many african-americans no I, I i can't speak for what the governor said but this is a very interesting comment because you know we've seen over the last couple of months what's happened between the governor of florida and disney yeah where disney's numbers went from 77 favorable 15 unfavorable Incredible. to 54 favorable 40 unfavorable wow. in five weeks. Yep. So, and then everyone's saying, well, that will really hurt the governor of Florida because that means businesses won't want, want to come to Florida. They really want to come to Florida for a lot of reasons. And mm-hmm. they're starting to understand the new politics. The com- corporations of America and of the world are understanding from this governor in particular that new the, the real politic of today is uh, is different than what it was even six months ago 
And if they don't get on board or more or worse, they try to challenge it and take it on. Uh, I think like Mickey Mouse is very sad right now for what happened over the last sure. couple yeah. of months in Florida. I think the DeSantis is really doing that. As far as the his comment about Elon Musk, I don't know. I don't know if that's a joke or not. I hope I hope it was received that way. You know, they'll be playing this back if he, of course, runs. Of course but is, is Jeannie, is he a real contender for 24 or are we making too much out of this? Does it depend on whether <laughs> Trump runs? It does depend in part on whether Trump runs, but he is absolutely, I think, at least, you know, one of the top contenders on the GOP side, again, mm-hmm. if Trump doesn't win. And Adam should not be talking about Mickey Mouse as sad. He's always happy, Adam. <laughs> um, but no, I think DeSantis is, is you know, uh, certainly he has proven himself um, in the governorship. And, you know, we should also mention another thing that uh, Elon Musk tweeted was he tweeted that he voted for Myra Flores, this, you know, huge win yeah. for Republicans. Yeah on the border of Texas. First time they've taken over that district in 100 years. He said first time he's voted for a Republican. So, you know, I think it is indicative of sort of this charge he's leading, at least to people who follow him, millions of people on Twitter. Does DeSantis have to yield to Trump in 24, Adam? Um, Everyone's watching to see what happens. I can tell you one thing. Ron DeSantis is the alternative to Donald Trump right now. And everyone around the country is starting to understand why. And just if, if I don't mind be adding to the Mickey Mouse comment from Jeannie, he's sad, Jeannie, for one reason. He has stock in Disney, too. And the oh. Adam, the first, the, right. the first stock I ever bought in my life as a child was Disney. Did you so. get the certificate? <laughs> Were they still doing that back the, then? I, I, I had the mouse ears and everything. Joe Matthew, yeah. I'm sorry to tell you that. I think Mickey got in early on the options, Adam. I don't know. He's still doing okay. Maybe I'm wrong. This is a riot, though. I do wonder where this ends up in 24 and how long, you know, Donald Trump's going to drag this out till the bitter end. Right. Which is going to make life difficult for a guy like DeSantis, Adam, to figure out his plans. Well, well, here's here's the bottom line. Uh, Trump, the Trump brand has done very well, I think, overall in the Republican primaries overall. He's had some losses, but overall it's done well. But the DeSantis message Mm -hmm. is really resonant. And it's fresh. And that's what makes this very interesting in terms of how it all shakes out for the nomination in 24. Will Joe Biden run against either of them, Jeannie? You know, so many Democrats. That's the that's the million dollar question. Yeah. And if he decides not to, just when is the timing? When does he tell people? Because that says a lot about whether he supports Kamala Harris or not. Boy, There's so much to figure out still. But that's why we have Jeannie and Adam Goodman. Thank you so much for being back with us today on Bloomberg Sound On. Great panel. And nice to see you, Jeannie, here in the nation's capital. We'll do it again tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. Markets and traffic are on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. 
Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.